Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the President of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Now today on the podcast, I want to go a different direction than I normally do, and that is I want to talk with you about a new book that's just come out that has been fascinating to me for some time, and I think will be a good resource not only for you as a ministry leader, but also to help you to make some ministry or some strategic ministry decisions uh, as you think about how to do certain aspects of church life. A few months ago, uh, I was asked by my friend Steve Parr if I would in- write an endorsement, which turned out to be a, a kind of a lead endorsement for his new book, Why They Stay. Now, the cover of the book is creative. It, it has the words, Why They Stray, S-T-R-A-Y, with a red X on the R indicating why they stay. Now, this book is about uh, why some young adults uh, leave home at age 18, move off to college, and stay engaged with a church and with their Christian faith, and why others stray, meaning they leave either church or they leave the Christian faith. So it's a book that has made a pretty serious effort at trying to sort out what are some of the contributing factors to why people stay as opposed to why people stray. Now, I'm past this age in terms of my parenting responsibilities because I now have three adult children. But I look at my three adult children and I see that all three of them chose to stay. All three of my adult children are uh, actively serving Christians. Two of them are really significantly engaged in church leadership. Uh, one of my sons, as most of you know, works internationally, so his, his church connection is not as deep as it would be if he lived in one place in the U.S., but uh, even when he was home recently visiting us, uh, he said, hey, where are we going to church, you know, and let's, man, I want to be sure I get to go while I'm here, that kind of thing. So all three of my adult children have decided to stay. And uh, I look back on this research and this book to see some things that we did right and, quite frankly, some things that we did wrong. So I don't want to make out like this book is a, an ironclad prescription for if you check these boxes or do these things, uh, nothing bad will happen to you or to your children. It doesn't work that way. You know that. But the book does uh, a pretty serious uh, research project, uh, interviewed about 1,400 uh, young adults in these categories of staying and straying, and worked them through a pretty significant interview process to try to ferret out, if you will, or try to discern what were some of the contributing factors or some of the patterns that, uh, con- that, that uh, produced a young adult who stayed versus a young adult who strayed. Now, I won't go in on the podcast to the research methodology and all of that, but it was well done, and was, uh, uh, you'll find that section of the book fascinating and helpful to understand where they got the information. But what I want to do on the podcast today is really just focus on a few highlights uh, from the book and get you, uh, get you enthused about it, I hope, from that, that perspective. And let me just say again, the title of the book is Why They Stay. The uh, author is Steve Parr, along with Tom Kreitz, who worked with him. Uh, they also have a website that is uh, available that will help you to gain additional information. It's called whytheystay.com, and you can go there and check out the book, online resources, additional things like that. 
Steve is actually uh, on the staff of the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, formerly known as the Georgia Baptist Convention. And in that context, I've spoken with him and for him at various events. Uh, he's a really good leader and a really good brother, and I hope that you will pay attention to some of his materials. So let's talk about why they stay and some of the anchors, as Steve describes them, that help people to stay connected uh, to church as they move into their young adult and to Christianity as they move into their young adult years. Uh, the first three anchors that he talks about, he puts under the label of anchors at home. Now, these may not necessarily surprise you, but I think they will interest you as they show a direct correlation to why young adults stay. The first one is people who stayed typically observed a healthy marriage in their family. Strong marriages equate with a likelihood of a young adult staying connected to church and to Christianity as they go forward. And this is a very shocking statistic. If divorce occurred during adolescence, the child is twice as likely to stray as to stay. Now, this is a sobering statistical find. We all know that healthy marriages contribute to healthy children. But what this study shows is that healthy marriages really contribute directly to whether a child, a young adult, decides to stay or stray when they move out on their own. And if a divorce happens while that person is an adolescent or a teenager, they're twice as likely to stray as they are to stay. So that speaks to all of us who are parents to make sure that our marriages stay strong, not just when, quote, our children are little. Haven't we all heard this? We're staying together for the children, but as they get older and more independent, meaning 14, 15, 16, then we're going to move toward a divorce. That is a devastating divorce in the, for a Christian adolescent and really shakes them in a foundational way. So let's keep that in mind. First anchor, a healthy marriage. Now, a second anchor relates to that, and that is that children or young adults who stayed had a close emotional connection to both their moms and their dads with a statistically significant uh, but not uh, determinative uh, a number greater toward the mom than the dad. In other words, uh, it says that the study showed that those were that, that stayed reported about 65% of those who stayed reported they were close to their mom, and about 50% reported they were close to their dad, meaning that half or more said this was a primary factor in the reason they stayed, or, or not a primary factor, it's a primary correlative uh, 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 issue, that those who stayed or strayed had close relationships to, to dad and to mom, uh, and maybe even a little more of them had that close relationship to mom. What this means is that uh, both parents have to be engaged with children all the way through. Uh, men, fathers have to engage with both boys and girls. Moms have to engage with both boys and girls. Now, I know in our family, uh, we saw how challenging this was. Uh, when our children were very young, of course, it seemed like they engaged better with their mother and they felt more connected to her. But it wasn't long before they kind of started pulling away from her, and especially the boys really started engaging with me. And then as our daughter got older, she pulled away and really started engaging more with me because her, trying to establish her identity as a young woman and kind of feel that out with what that looked like in relationship to a man, meaning she did that with her father. And so, and then there was a time when that sort of swung back the other way. And and, uh, and my daughter and her, and her mother developed this super close relationship that, man, I sometimes marvel at that I just don't have. And I have a good relationship with my daughter, but it's just not as much as my wife does. But my wife might say the same thing about our sons. 
Uh, all I'm trying to communicate is this. The book says, and the study says, that close emotional connections with both mother and father are essential. Maybe a little more uh, with the mother, but both are essential. And both men, and young adult men and women reported that they both needed to be connected to both mom and dad. So that means there's no period of life where we can say, well, my parenting role is over, or that, they, that just needs to be turned over to my wife or turned over to my husband. We both have to stay engaged all the way through. And then here's another one, and this one is very important to me because I've seen this one, uh, really, I've seen this one uh, violated or a mistake made here so much of the time, uh, and, and it really has always concerned me. And that is this third anchor is that children or young adults who stay say that their parents provided balanced discipline and a balanced disciplinary environment in which they were reared. Now, what that means is that parents avoided being too loose or too strict. Now, when I was in the parenting mode, especially with you know younger children, it was the mid-80s and up into the 1990s. And that was an era in the in, in Christian movement in the United States when there was a tremendous f- emphasis put on the family and on reclaiming the family and redefining the family and on building strong families, and that was good. But there was always one part of it that concerned me, and that was I saw... Some Christian parents, in fact, more than I'd like to admit, that were being far too strict or far too narrow uh, about how they disciplined children and what they expected of their Christian children. Someone helped us with this along the way. Uh, They helped us understand that children are going to grow and develop and mature and that that they need some room to maneuver, as my mentor put it, as they move toward uh, self-determination of behavior and hopefully mature choices as younger, as, as middle and older teenagers. But some parents that we uh, worked with just really couldn't see that. They were super controlling and super disciplinarians and, and really said there was a Christian way and that their children had to do that and they couldn't deviate from it. And it created a lot of frustration and resentment in the lives of those children. And that's what this study shows. This study doesn't show that permissiveness is the answer. It shows that balance is the answer. And that if you're overly strict, uh, too demanding, uh, have unrealistic expectations, it only creates frustration, anxiety, and ultimately more rebellion uh, from your children. Now, growing up, or or not growing up, but uh, when our children were growing up and we were parenting this way, uh, we occasionally faced some criticism from other parents who said we were too permissive or not strict enough with our own children. And they often would some would criticize us as well by saying, "Well, these things, uh, you know, your 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 children are ministers' children; they're pastors' kids. They should behave a certain way." And man, we reacted so negatively to that, and really held the line on that. Um, we worked really hard. I won't say we never did it, but we worked really hard at never telling our children, "You have to do this because you're a pastor's child." We did say on occasion, "We have to do this because we're a Christian family." Now that's a different thing. There are some things that Christian families just have to do and have to stand up for, but that's not just because you're a pastor's child. And that's the kind of discipline here that I think is, is going too far uh, toward the disciplinary side, too strict toward the disciplinary side. So uh, how they stay, the book starts off by pointing out three anchors at home, strong marriages, emotional engagement, and balanced discipline. Those are contributing factors to why young adults stay. Now, 
I, I think the correlation is what's important here. Everybody understands these three things are important in the moment. But what we may not have understood is that 10 years after some of these phases of life have gone by, when a young adult is 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, they're making the choices based on the influence, environment, and shaping that has taken place from their family background and from, these, from, the, from the, the strong marriage they observed, the emotional engagement they experienced, and from the balanced discipline that was a part of their upbringing. Now, let's talk about some anchors at church. The study goes on to talk about a number of these. I'm just going to highlight three uh, today on the podcast. The first one that really stood out to me when I first read the research was this. A a reason that young adults stay is because both their mom and their dad were engaged in serving through their church. Now, what the study showed was this. Mom and dad going to church did not make a difference in whether a person that became a young adult stayed or strayed. Being involved in church, was, or excuse me, attending church uh, was not sufficient and didn't make really that much difference. But mom and dad both engaged appropriately in serving in church. In other words, having a leadership responsibility, teaching a class, serving on a committee, singing in the choir, being on the worship team, serving as an usher, a greeter, a trustee, something like that. When young adults grew up watching their parents do more than just talk about how important church was or even go to church, but then that third step, actually engaging by serving in and through their church, that seemed to have a very significant impact on whether or not they stayed engaged with church and Christianity as young adults. Here's another part of the study that really surprised me about the church aspect, and that is young adults who stayed were 90% more likely to stay if they felt they had a strong relationship to their pastor during their teenage years. Now, that's a significant statement because, quite frankly, I've often thought it was more significant that they had a close connection to their youth pastor. But the study showed that what really made the difference was an emotional connection, a spiritual connection, a relational connection with the lead pastor or with the pastor. Now, that doesn't mean that they were the, that the pastor was their best friend or the pastor went to every activity or the pastor was the person who led their discipleship group. But it does mean they felt in some way meaningfully engaged emotionally, spiritually, relationally with their pastor. Now, what that looks like, It's going to be different in different sizes of church and different kinds of ministries and different structures. I get that. But I was so encouraged after reading through this material and looking at this study. I was so encouraged recently when a pastor of a church, about 100, maybe 125 attendants, that pastor said to me, uh, well, I'm gearing up for next week. I said, really, what's next week? He said, I'm going to youth camp. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, uh, I just feel like it's kind of a once a year experience when I can really connect with teenagers and just spend extra time with them and be available to them. And, you know, we're taking about a dozen kids and, and, uh, you know, we'll have some other sponsors and, and I'll, but it'll be my opportunity to just get better connected and just have a more of a relationship with them. 
And uh, this church has a volunteer youth minister and a couple in the church that really have devoted themselves to working with teenagers. And so the pastor is not the, quote, youth director of the church, but he's taking this opportunity to go to camp and really engage. I, I thought about another pastor recently who told me that he did the same thing with their children's camp. He said, I just make it a priority to go out there and spend a couple of nights three days, two nights uh, at a crucial you know, part of the camp when there's a lot of availability. And he said, I just want to be around these kids so that they understand the pastor is a real person they can connect with, talk to, understand, see having fun, see be, being silly, see participating in a worship service as someone other than the preacher. Uh, I just want to be with the children of our church for a couple of nights. And I thought, man, that's, that's so wise. So what I guess I'm appealing for here is for pastors to rethink this process of engagement. We tend to think we need to grow our church to the point that we can hire a youth pastor. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But don't, in the putting a youth pastor in charge of a youth ministry, disengage yourself from the teenagers of your church. Find a way to engage them emotionally and spiritually and relationally. Go to camp. Show up at a retreat. Be involved in one of their programs. Uh, do something that helps them to know that you're approachable, that you're available, that you're a real person that they can have a connection with. The people in this study who said they stayed reported a strong connection to their senior or lead pastor in the church they came from. And in most cases, it wasn't a buddy-buddy relationship, but it was a, a connected relationship where they really felt like this person knows me, they care about me, I'm committed to them. You know, one of the things that happened to me when I was... Uh, uh, in uh, ministry 25 years ago was I left the pastorate and I became a member of a church that had a pastor. Now, because of the very high value that I place on pastoral ministry, uh, it was my honor to support my pastor when he came to lead our church. And early on, there was a particularly crucial moment in our church where the pastor uh, led us in a new direction, and I was able to give very public support to that new direction. And when I did that, my oldest son actually challenged me on it, and he said, I can't believe you're doing this. You, you've actually led the church to go a different way, and now you're saying that you think this new way is the way we should go. And I told him that night over dinner uh, in front of the rest of our family. I said, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but he's our pastor now, and this is not a matter of doctrine or uh, some ethical principle. This is a ministry choice that he's leading us to make, and it's a good ministry choice, and it's the one he feels like is best for our church, and it's my opportunity to, to step up and, and really value the pastor and show how much I'm committed to his leadership. And when I said that, I just watched my oldest son kind of look at me and nod his head up and down, and I could see that more was going on in his mind than just internalizing the words I had spoken, but something deeper was happening. Now, one of the really joys of my life has been that my daughter married a pastor, but my two sons both really support their pastors. And I think it's because they saw me modeling that, and they felt like a pastor was an important person, a person we should follow and get to know and respect. And then when they saw me doing that, it made them want to have that same kind of relationship and that same kind of connection. So uh, the, the study doesn't say that every pastor should go to youth camp, but it does say that there's a real correlation between whether people stay as young adults engaged with church and Christianity to the kind of relational connection they had to their pastor in their previous setting. Well, one last uh, part of this anchoring at church that I found significant, which also really surprised me, and that is that young adults who stayed were more likely to stay if they grew up 
going to church with their parents, not going to a separate children's or youth worship service. Now, I know this is going to be really controversial for some of you, and I respect that. The study doesn't say that these kinds of services are evil or bad or totally detrimental. It doesn't say that at all. It just says that there was a correlation between those who stayed to going to church with their parents as children and teenagers as opposed to being exclusively separated from them or in their own, uh, in their own worship experiences separated by uh, age or by, by, by uh, group or by interest. Now, what does this mean? Well, it doesn't mean that churches shouldn't have uh, alternative worship occasionally for children or for teenagers. It doesn't mean that they shouldn't have uh, child care or something that's uh, age-appropriate for preschool children. It doesn't mean that at all. But it does say something important about what children gain by participating in a worship service, seeing their, ch- their parents participate, seeing other adults participate, uh, watching God at work in a worship service among all different kinds of people, seeing response, particularly public response to the gospel through baptism, Lord's Supper, and these other kinds of experiences. So while the study doesn't say that children's programming should be eliminated or youth programming should be eliminated, nothing like that, it does underscore the importance of engaging children Uh, at a pretty early age, and and certainly engaging teenagers in the worship community of a church and of a family so that there is this uh, sense that you belong to something much larger than yourself and that you're comfortable seeing God at work in that kind of setting. So we've talked today on the podcast about some anchors at home and some anchors at church. And then the last thing I want to talk about is the, the study reveals some what he calls anchors in turmoil or anchors in transition. Uh, And here's some correlations, again, that were discovered. Uh, The people who stayed, young adults who stayed, were more likely to report that their church had an intentional strategy to help them with transition. They particularly point to uh, going into middle school, going into high school, and going into college. That the church did more than have a promotion Sunday or more than have a graduation Sunday or more than just acknowledge that they were moving up, but the church actually had an intentional strategy to help them transition spiritually from one segment of life to the next or from one group in the church to the next. I've seen this done wonderfully in some churches. Um, I know one particular church that had a uh, uh, a very good strategy for doing this. What they did was uh, on a Sunday service, Sunday night service, they had something called the sixth grade ceremony. And at the end of that, uh, as a, in that worship service, they focused on all their sixth graders, how they had come up through the ministry of the church, how they had finished their grade school years, and how they were moving into middle school. And it was time to transition them into the youth ministry of the church. And so they had this worship service, whether they had the parents and they had um, everybody, uh, you know, celebrating, and they had a little party for them after, and it was over. They said, "Now, all the sixth graders are going on the six to uh, for the sixth grade retreat," and so they took all the sixth graders out of the service and right out to to school buses, loaded them up, and took them to another location. And when they arrived at that other location, 
uh, the, all the rest of the youth group of the church, which probably mean about 50 more kids, all the rest of the youth group of the church was lined up on the sidewalk with banners that said, welcome to the youth ministry, we're glad to have you, can't wait to see how God will use you, with balloons and streamers and confetti, uh, little confetti cannons and all those little kind of things. And as these sixth graders are coming off the bus, they're walking down this sidewalk, which is kind of a gauntlet, if you will, of all these teenagers lined up, and they're celebrating with air horns and throwing up confetti and waving their banners and their balloons. And they're saying, welcome, we love you, we can't wait to get to know you, we want to see you in our group. And as they walked through that, they came into this uh, gym, then all the rest of the youth group came in behind them, and they had a very intentional plan of dividing the group up into small groups, letting the sixth graders start getting acquainted, and basically saying from day one, this is not a place for hazing, this is not a place for clicks, this is not a place for you to feel like you're on the edge. This is a place where we're going to embrace you, bring you into our group, make you a part of what we're doing. And from the very beginning, we want you to know you're important here. Now, this church had been doing this for several years by the time I learned about it. And it was awesome to see kids in the youth group that were now juniors and seniors who had been a part of that first sixth grade ceremony who were still carrying on the tradition. Now, this is just one thing that's, that one church did, but it's what I'm trying to illustrate. And that is that churches that that young adults who said they stayed, the churches paid particular attention to the transition points. How do we help children transition into middle school? How do we help them transition into high school? How do we help them transition into college? And it was, it was something that the church had as a strategy to try to help them through those times, not just a congratulatory experience, but a strategic experience for helping them with transition. And then another one of these anchors that was through transition is that they really focused on helping students learn how to select a church and how to make the transition when they went away from their family for the first time to their own church. Now, I just want to close the podcast with this personal story uh, because we backed into this as a family. We did not do this intentionally, but it worked out. When my oldest son was a junior in high school, the summer after his junior year, he came home one, Sunday, or one day and said, uh, I, I want to change churches. And I said, excuse me? He said, I want to start going to a different church. And I said to myself, wow, I planted the church we're members of right now. Okay. But then another little voice whispered in my ear, and then I said out loud to my son, well, what's her name? <laughs> and he laughed and said, wow, Dad, how did you know that? I said, I don't know, but what's her name? And he told me there was a girl that he had met at school that was a Christian who went to a different church, and he wanted to start going to church with her. Well, the other church he wanted to go to was a fantastic church. Uh, it was a well-known Bible church in our area with a very fine pastor. Uh, there was no question it would be a good experience for him. And so I said, listen, uh, I don't see any problem with it. Now, I did remind him. I said, now, remember, son, on Sunday, our, our family goes to church. He goes, I know, Dad. I said, so this is not not go to church. This is go to church, but just a different church. He said, totally. He said, I'm not, I'm not trying to get out of church. I like church. He said, I just don't want to go to ours anymore. I don't want to go to this other church. So his mother a little, had a little more meltdown about it, but we talked it through, and, uh, and our oldest son went off to this other church for about six weeks. Well, about six weeks later, one Sunday morning, uh, we're getting ready to go to church, and I noticed my watch, and I said, hey, you got a little further drive than we do. You need to get on the road, man. And he goes, uh, I'm going to our church this Sunday. I said, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, I like the other church, but honestly, uh, I think I like ours better. And I, I wanna, I'm going to start coming back to our church. Well, he did. But what happened was during that six weeks of going, 
he went long enough to really engage another church and learn what that felt like and discover something about that. And so that next summer, when he was getting ready to go off to college, I said, you know, have you thought much about how you'll choose a church? And he said, yeah, I, I remember last summer when I did that, and it really helped me to know what it's like to visit a church and how to figure that whole thing out and the kind of church I'll be looking for. And I thought, wow, I did not, figure, I did not plan on that happening that way. But it turned out to be a really good thing. So when our other two children uh, got to that age, uh, we faced kind of the same thing. But this time it happened when we were moving to the new responsibility at Gateway. And so we said to our two children who were moving with us, who were both in high school, hey, listen, this is an opportunity for you to learn how to choose a new church because sooner, very soon you're going to both be going off to college and you're going to need to do that. So as we pick a church in the Bay Area when we relocate to be the president at Gateway, uh, we want you guys to pick our church, and wherever you select, your mother and I are going to be happy, and we're going to go there, and if after two or three years you go off to college and we don't think it's the church for us, we'll make a ch choice to change. But right now, we're going with you guys. Well, that had a good and a bad side. The good side was our children learned how to choose a church, and they did. And when they both went off to college, they both chose churches, they both got involved, and they both carried right on. However, they selected a church when we moved to the Bay Area that was the last church my wife and I would have joined. It was really not the church for us. Uh, it wasn't necessarily a bad church. Uh, I'm not saying anything that, like that. I'm just saying it wasn't the church for us. If we'd have been making the call, we'd have gone a different direction. But once we made the commitment, we decided we got to honor it, and so we did. And later on, uh, we did move to a different church. But Quite by accident, our family went through a process whereby we taught our children how to choose a church uh, before they needed to do it the first time on their own. And so what I've been teaching for years as a parenting strategy is uh, do this, do this uh, intentionally. When your children get in high school, uh, encourage them to visit some other churches. Now, encourage them to do that for the purpose of learning how to visit a church, how to get connected in a church, how to learn information about a church, how to make an analysis or a determination if a church really fits what they believe they're supposed to be doing and where they're supposed to be serving. And do that while they're in high school so that when they go off to college, it's not the first experience they've had doing that. Now, you might say, well, I don't want our children doing that. I want them to be with me. I want to have every Sunday. No, you don't. No, you don't. You want to do what's right and what's best for parenting, and that is you need to give up some Sundays with your children during high school years, pushing them, encouraging them, challenging them to check out some other churches. And if they're really reticent, take them to do it with you so that they can see how to do it. Not to ignore your own church or own responsibilities, but to help make a good launch and a good transition when they go forward. That's what the study showed. It showed that churches, excuse me, that young adults who make a good transition had learned how to do that and had developed some skill of making that transition before they had to do it the first time. So anyway, uh, we backed into it by accident, but it sure worked out good for us. Well, I don't have any more time today on the podcast. This is about half of the anchors that they talk about in the study. I just highlighted them here on the podcast. Again, the book is Why They Stay. Uh, the website is whythestay.com. The author is Steve Parr, P-A-R-R. -R. He's a good friend. I wrote an endorsement for this book. Uh, I'm not getting a nickel for trying to sell any of them today, so don't get the wrong idea. I just find it, found, it, found it to be a really helpful resource, a good study, a lot of empirical data, a lot of statistical data, and a good, thing, a, a good resource that will help you not only be a better parent, but to train parents to do a better job and also to do some decision-making and structuring of your church ministry. If something I've said on the podcast has piqued your interest, get the book, go to the website, find out more about it, and then use it as you lead on.